Repeat the topic with me, please. Say how to, how to build, how to build your, future. your future. The big word today is how. How. How do you build your future? And I'm, I'm going to give you one key way to do that today. Embrace the price tag. You have to decide that you're willing to pay the price. Now, I can't pay it for you. I don't have the ability to do that. You are the only person that can do that. And that's one of those great big moments in your life. I think you have moments, those big moments, when you come to a big revelation, a big truth. You understand this is my education. This is my health. This is my life. This is my, my walk with God. This is not Pastor Rick's. This is about me. When you get that down, you're fine. It's not about your wife. Sometimes marriage can really confuse you. You think it's about our family. No, healthy Diane, healthy Ricky equals a healthy family. Unhealthy Ricky, unhealthy Diane, unhealthy Diane and healthy Ricky or vice versa means an unhealthy family. It's when both people decide I'm going to be healthy. I'm not sure what my staff will do. I'm not sure what the people around me will do, but I'm going to do this because this is the right decision for me. And if, if everybody else doesn't contribute, it may not work out. And I have to accept that. I don't control what everybody does. I only control what I do. I control my choices. And, and, and that, that, that can be liberating for you because... Sometimes you, that, that's the price tag. To build the future you want, the price tag is I've got to accept that you're not going to do it. So it's my responsibility. You're not going to save money? I have to. You're not going to try? I'm going to, no one's going to ask? I have to ask. It, it's whatever the other departments do. I can't control those departments, but I can control this department because I'm over this. This is the world I live in. That's why I love to say, are you, are you, controlled, are you taking charge of your world, your box, your world right here? Ricky Temple, Diane Temple, Christina Rick. My, the family that I have reached, that's what I control, and I get that. That's why this coming year, part of my focus is infrastructure. Say that word, please. Come on. Infrastructure. That has to do with the bones of an organization. So January and February, the goal is to do strategic planning and sitting down with groups and hammering out plans and strategies. We couldn't do it in the fall because we got so much going on. I mean, Wow, did we have a busy fall. We had, I mean, homecoming, fall festival, I mean, ladies only. I went to Africa and on and on. And so, can you breathe? You didn't breathe with me. Come on, breathe. Yeah, man, we did a lot. Now we got two more big events coming up for New Year's Eve. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful, and Christmas is on, on, on Sunday now, but we got it all worked out. We got it, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of people to make it all happen. It's not just by accident. But at the end of the day, the one thing I've learned is that you have to be focused on building your world. And I think a lot of us are not. I went in my office at the house. I have an office at the house. And I, 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 I apologized to my office at the house. I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been running around doing so much that, you know, you just don't throw files out. You got stuff out. You know what I'm saying? It's not junky now. It's not junky junky now. But it's just a couple of things need to be thrown out right now. And so I got stuff all organized, throw out, and I'm going to have a big throwing out party coming up in the next week, as a matter of fact. And I just think there's, there's a moment when you need to apologize to your world and say, I have not been focused on building my own infrastructure. And I've got to get back to the fundamentals and the basics. And I want every department in our church, I want every group in our church to grow and be strong. And so that is the price tag. There's a price tag attached to that. In order for me to get to where I want to be in the future, I have to ask myself, do I want to just be running around the world traveling? I really don't. I don't think there's, I travel a lot, but I'm telling you right now, eh, 75,000 miles. This is a down year for me. I think it's 65,000 in a plane. 
and probably another 25,000 on, 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 on the land. But anyway, but I don't need to just be running places and doing stuff. I need to make sure that where I'm going has a purpose. And some of us are really busy, but we're not willing to step back and say, this busy is not a good busy because I'm not really accomplishing anything specific. I'm not building the future I want. In order for me to build the future, I have to understand that the price tag may be I give up this, I give up that, I stop doing it that way, I stop doing it this way. I get really focused on what matters. I watch people who work a lot of overtime and do a lot of things, but they're physically going down. It's going to cost you money. Why are you working overtime? You're going to give it to the doctor. Pause. Give me an amen. amen. I mean, I'm not against doctors getting paid, but I'm just simply saying I don't want to be the one who pays them everything. Because I don't sit back and say, okay, so I'm really busy. I'm on all these committees. I'm helping the community, but my marriage is a wreck. My, my children are out of whack because I don't ever spend time with them. I've never taken my daughter out anywhere. I've never taken my son anywhere. What am I doing? What kind of future am I building? The price tag for you to build the future you want may mean a reevaluation of everything. I've redefined my travel for the coming year. I've read, as a matter of fact, I've, um, I have a whole different approach because I'm, I'm clear. I'm clear that I have to, <laughs> excuse me, I have to make sure the infrastructure, the bones of who we are is strong. And for some of us, that would be a good decision to make going into the new year. Don't plan to be busier. Plan to be more focused on what really matters. If you got that, say amen. Now, in order for you to have the future you desire, you must personally embrace the price tag for your dream. There is a labor requirement. Can you say it with me, please? Come on. Labor requirement and a need to recruit others to help you build your future. You cannot build it alone. If you're trying to do it alone, it's not going to work. You can't build a business, a family, career, nothing can hardly ever be done with you by yourself. And so you have to open your heart and mind. Now, I've never imagined that I would be where I am today or be able to accomplish what I've accomplished. But if you're like me, um, you really need God to take you and lift you to the place you can't see. And what I've learned is the Lord says in Matthew 9:37, I have a great place to put you. Opportunity is not the problem for you. The problem is, are you willing to pay the price? Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 9, 37. The harvest is truly plentiful. Read that with me, please. Come on. The but the laborers are few. Now listen to it again. Then he said to his disciples, the, the, the harvest is truly plentiful. There is a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of things I want to I give you. But... I think some people think God just arbitrarily looks and says, you get it and you don't, and I bless you and I don't bless you. There's somehow a favoritism thing happening. Jesus said, no, listen to me. The harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of opportunity, plenty of jobs, plenty, 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 plenty. You might say, well, where is mine? Here's, here's the difference, the sweat. The sweat, the investment. And, and I think that, that you, you got to be clear that you're sweating in the right direction. You're not just busy. I, I asked a guy one time, I said, are you lazy or are you diligent? He said, I'm diligent. I said, how do you know? He said, because I'm busy. I said, maybe you're busy doing stuff you like doing. 
The stuff that's challenging, you're avoiding. And so I want to know for a moment, how much are you willing to invest? And I mean, it, it, it's not going to always be easy, but what I've learned is if you're willing to invest, Jesus will help you. Now, in Matthew chapter 9, I chose this chapter because it's full of people that Jesus helped. And it shows us the kind of people that he wants to bless, the kind of people he wants to help. And it's just it's five examples in this chapter that I just thought, man, please, these are the kind of people that Jesus helps build a future. And it's encouraging to me because I fit into all five of these categories at some point in my life. I've been like these five people. And I want you to look with me and let me show you the kind of people. And then I want you to just think with me. Okay, if, if you're trying to build a future, you're trying to get to some place, and, and you're willing to pay the price tag, you might say, well, who, who, who qualifies? Well, let me show you the people who qualify kind of people that Jesus helps build a future. Number one, people who have no more places to go. They have gone everywhere. They have no more places to go. They've invested all their time and money and effort, but there's no more places to go. They're kind, they've hit a, hit a brick wall, nobody else to go. Jesus says, those are the kind of people that I will help build a future. Listen to what this guy says. It's Matthew 9, 18. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, my daughter has just died. Come and lay your hands on her. And she will live. Jesus arose and followed him and his disciples. Now, here's a guy whose daughter has just died. He has no more places to go. Have you ever come to a moment when you feel something died or was dying? It was almost over. This is the marriage, the life. That's where he was. This guy who is a ruler is in a, in a moment where he can't control anything. Have you, can you relate to that guy? I love it. And Jesus follows him home. And so if you're the kind of person who's facing something in your life where you feel like it's died, and I, I know pastors who feel like that, they feel like the church has just died. It's just nothing, there's nothing else to do. There's, there's no dream, no vision. You're in a career, a path. You're, you're running in the place. You have no more places to go. Jesus says, I'm the kind, I, look, you're the kind of person that I can help. Second. Jesus has people who have no more money. Matter of fact, can we just say them all together? Come on, say, say he has people who say no more places to go, no more money, no more hope, no more sight, and no more voice. Those are the five kinds of people that Jesus helped. People who have no more places to go, people who have no more money, people who have no more hope, people who have no more sight, and people who have no voice. Some of you say, I can relate to all five of them. The second guy I want you to look at is the person who has no money. Now, this is interesting because this is tied to physical illness. You've heard the story before. A woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, Matthew 9, 20. And she said to her, him herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. Luke chapter four, 8, verse 43, describes in more detail the challenge this woman faced. She had been sick for 12 years, spent all of her livelihood on physicians, and could not be healed by any. Luke 8, 43. It's a horrible thing to run out of money. Don't let anybody fool you. It's just one of those moments in life when you, when you see that, that, that money running low, it's a challenge. And here's a woman who's sick with no money. Now, that's a real problem. Because that means, first of all, in this culture, women didn't have a lot of op options. And 
Somehow she had either her husband had died or some of my father and left her some money. Whatever She was a unique woman in this culture to have money and resources. But it was all running out. What kind of future could she have? That's her thought. I'm going to down the street with no money, poor, can't get married again. What guy wants me? I'm bleeding all the time. This is a, this is a mess. I've gone, to, I've gone to doctors. I've been hoodwinked. I've been, you know, scanned. They, they, I'm, I'm worse off than when I started. People like that, the Lord looks at and says, I can help you build a future. Now, that's encouraging. I, I think when you become physically challenged, uh, there's a debilitating emotional part to that that is hard to describe if you've never been there. No money, no hope, no more places to go. She grabs hold of Jesus' garment, and that's her only hope. The story goes on to say she was healed, but it's an amazing moment. Third kind of person that God helps is people who have no more hope. I, I, I made this different because I said no more hope. Matthew 9, 23 goes back to the first story about the guy who had the ruler, who was a ruler. Now, he had no place to go, the first thing I pointed out to you, now, watch this now. He has no more hope. Not only does no, Jesus is the only person who can help him, but watch what the Bible says in Matthew 9, 23. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the, the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. Pause right there. They ridiculed him, but when the crowd was put outside, read verse 25 with me, please come on. But when the crowd was put outside, one more time, read it again. He went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report, was, the report of this went out into all the land. Now go back to number one and watch this flow. First of all, Jesus helps people who have no more places to go. That's what this guy was like. No, who else can help him? No more places to go. If you're a person who feels like this guy, you have no more places to go, then you're the kind of person Jesus wants to help build a future. If you're the kind of person, go down to number three, who has no more hope, because, you, I mean, there, there's something about being surrounded with people who reinforce your unbelief. There's no, there's no, there's no, everybody says she's dead, it's over. It's, you know, it's forget the marriage, forget the life, forget, forget your future. This career, this path, this job, this position, it's over. I'm done. And so if you, if you buy into that, then it stays dead. Here's what Jesus had to do. Put everybody else out. One more time. Think about this. Everybody had to leave. Sometimes in your life, the, the difference between your future being different and not being different is you have to get rid of the people around you. That's the price tag. And it's, it's, it's sweeping. It, it means everybody. Because nobody believes you can survive this. You have too many kids. Your, your income is too low. You're too far behind. You'll never, ever catch up. Ever. And it's so easy to buy into that. I'm telling you, I tell people all the time, one of the biggest things that, that's hard about this job is there are moments you don't know whether you can believe again. Do you have another sermon? 35 years, you should be tired now, right? should be over. Pack up your bags, boy. That's a long career. Who would fault me? Some of you are 20 years and you're ready to quit. Some of you are 10 and count down. <laughs> I mean, I know I ain't going to be here for 35 more years. And if you got to be 35 years, you surely would not feel obligated to stay not one more year. 
Who can blame you? But it's good to still have hope and be alive. Come on, say amen. Come on, it's still good to have fire in your life. Because here's what I believe is important. Most people think you're dead. And let me tell you, at 58, it's amazing. People start telling you that. People don't ask me anymore about my dreams. They ask about when am I going to retire. Really? I never, I never get asked what do I want to be when I grow up anymore. It's like there's no more hope. Hope is gone out the window. It's dead. Laying there on the slab. It's day. Rick, just count your time now. Bam, bam, bam. I'm not against retirement. I'm, make, I'm making a point here. At every, every retiree says this to me. The problem they have is hope. Hope, dreaming, planning. You stop doing all that. It's like I used to be. And so you spend all your life talking about what I used to be. Where I used to be, what I used to do, where I used to work, what they used to always tell me. And I remember when I was. You know, one of the tragedies, and Diane noted this, you know, it takes somebody who was not from a place to come to a place and tell you about the place. In Los Angeles, who I love and appreciate, grew up there. But here's what's interesting. <laughs> Born here, but raised there. Diane noticed this. She said, when pe- a lot of people that are celebrities, and you get, you know, they, it's a job, but a lot of people you would know, when they introduce themselves, and Diane pointed this out to me, they always introduce themselves about what they used to do. Oh, hey, this is the so-and-so. He used to play on this, pro- this, this sitcom, or he was in this play, or he was on Broadway. They always introduce themselves. And Diane pointed this out to me. She says, why do they always introduce themselves about what they used to be? This person played in this movie. This person did this, did that. They wrote this play. And I, I, never, I never noted it. It's almost like there's no hope. Everything's dead. A career path you dreamed of didn't work out, so life's over now. And if you want to really hear something sad, look at sports. The average NFL player, 3.5 years of his career. That's how long it lasted. Oh, it's tragic. Oh, God, it's tragic. The numbers are horrific. Only less than 1% NBA players who want to be in the NBA, less than 1% make it. Less than 1% make it in baseball. Less than 1% make it in football. Football is brutal, brutal to those who play. Now 80% of them are overweight. 60% of the linemen are overweight. Over half of them die of heart attacks, heart disease. They're six times more likely to be divorced. It's amazing how you don't even know. It's phenomenal. Or half have brain injury from the hitting in the head. Thousand hits to the head. When you watch it today, you pray for those guys. Because when they finish looking that good, doing those flips, it's not a pre-ending. All you got to do is know a few. You don't need to see them in the back room getting, getting IVs in between halves. The hurts, the pain, the broken bones. All in the name of winning. But what's amazing about this is those are the kind of people that Jesus helps build a future. Who come to a place in their life where there's no hope. Who come to a place where I'm broke up, I've made bad decisions, and I have no hope. God wants to help those people build a future. And for some of you, that is enough to go home on. Because you've been there and you feel that way. 
fourth group people, people that he helps his people who have no more sight. I love Matthew 9, 27. It's a story about some blind guys, two of them. And these two blind guys come to Jesus. They follow him crying out saying, Son of David, this is Matthew 9, 27, have mercy on us. And when he came into the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? That is the question of the day. These guys cannot see. As a matter of fact, they probably never seen before. You wonder, what are you even asking for? Sight. What is that? I'm not sure, but I want it. I've never seen anything, so I just, and I, it, looks, it seems like it would make things easier, and I just I want what everybody else around me has. They don't bump into stuff. When you were blind in this culture, you were really, really blind. There was you didn't have sticks that showed you. You didn't have people showing you how to get around. You had to figure it out, and hopefully family would help you. Made you really dependent. You had no future, no hope, no career, no path. <coughs> Marriage, all those things were just really not an option for you many times. I mean, it, it, it's just horrible. At least that's what they felt. Let me just... Um, I didn't say this in the other service, but let me say this here. It, we have members who are blind. And some are just amazingly courageous. And, and as a matter of fact, one of our members uh, teaches people how to manage being blind. And what's really amazing is I don't think that she believes she's blind. The ones that I know that are blind, who've, who've been born blind, live blind all their life, they think you're blind. Because they can see better than you can see when it comes to something. They've got more money than you, and they can't even see. They save better. They're more focused. I, I want to just say this because I, I really think that the, the, the Christian argument for healing and all uh, lovingly said is tunnel vision. So every time you see a blind person, you want to heal them. That's your, that's your goal. This is a true healing that, that's going to happen in this story. But I don't know that everybody that, w well, I, I do know, everybody in Jesus' day that was blind did not see. All the blind people he interacted with did not get healed. This, this is going to bother some, but it's the truth. I mean, the truth is the truth. I don't know that that should be what you get out of the story. I don't know that the purpose of the story is for you to go around telling everybody they can see or will see. I don't know that that's the goal of the story. The goal is to show you that there are moments in life where God intervenes in people's lives and does something amazing. But I don't know that the greatest sight is physical sight. I think it's great. I want to keep mine, but it's not, that's not the, I, I, it's hard for me to get past that. I mean, the miracle gets me stuck. I get, I get, I just can't see past that. And then I need to explain to a blind person why they didn't get healed. Does that make sense to you? Or I feel like I got to give some great answer. So I'll, I'll look at the verse later on. It says, according to your faith, so be it unto you. So a person who is not healed where they can physically see, I would say it's your fault because you didn't have faith. If you had faith like these two guys, you'd see. It's all because of you not having faith. See, here's my point. Where you put the accent marks, that's what makes it feel, the way it feels. 
You go to the verse and your goal is to somehow impose your own personal summary on it. Here's the deal. Something good happened to somebody, celebrate with them and move on. Don't make everybody have to have that same experience to be loved by God. Come on, do you hear what I'm saying to you? You know, God saved my marriage, not yours. Okay, so who's bad? Who's, and see, see, the need for Christians to always have a final word, final summary. So I need to somehow bring to the scripture my own summary and theological end to it. We know everything. A person who doesn't go to church, I was sitting with them in this, we're in this uh, college environment, and we're sitting all at the table, and they said this to me. I don't know what, we just kind of, we were talking among ourselves, a bunch of believers, and we're just, well, you know, praise the Lord. We're giving a scriptural summary to everything we saw. And, it didn't, and to me, I didn't think we were being judgmental, but to the person who was sitting there, they were like, wow. And they kept looking back and forth, listening to our theological summaries of the world. And, you know, they said, you guys know everything. You have an answer for everything. When somebody comes to you and they get people, some people come and say, I prayed for healing, it didn't happen. What, what happened? I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer. When you get to heaven, look it up in the library. I don't know. But I do know he's a healer. I do know he delivers people. Come on, say amen. You hear me? But, you know, I love I loved the Hebrew boy's summation. You know, when they, Nebuchadnezzar was about to throw him into the fiery furnace. And they said, they said hey, you know, it was hot, man. Was, they knew it was hot because it killed the two guys who were throwing him in, you know. And so they standing there and they said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we want you to know something. That our God can deliver us from this. But if he does not, he's still God. Come on, say amen. He's still God. Some of you are boxed in theologically. You're boxed in emotionally. You're frustrated because your sister's marriage made it. And that old wicked, no good, rotten man, she stay worked it out. But you with your same Bible-toting self didn't work it out. And you feel guilty. Loose here, devil. Be free. God is still God. Come on, say amen. Cracking up, he said, Lose your devil or something right in the middle of it. He just, Lose your devil. What does that mean? <laughs> See, back in the old days in the church, when you'd be bound up by the devil, be all bound, they said, Lose here, lose here. Let me go free. Let my mind go free. Let my emotions go free. Got me feeling guilty and worried. Get off this story. Stop imposing your meaning on it. Here is the bottom line when you can't see, God will give you sight. That's the message. He's looking to help people who can't see, see. And he links it to something. Your faith. Are you willing to see? Here's what I think we're scared of. We're scared of seeing certain things. You got the faith to look in the mirror and see yourself. Like I asked Diane earlier. Come about my insecurities. Am I a confident person? I loved her answer. She's straightforward. Hey, no. I see areas. I see moments. She says, you normally squash them fast, but I see them pop up on you. Did I do good today? How did I, how did I communicate? What I, see, there are moments in your life when it happens to you. And here's, here's what's powerful. I'm willing to see that. What won't you see? You're blind. Sometimes you're the blindest one in the room. You refuse to see. You refuse. You got children like that. Boy, you can't see. What's wrong with you? You can't see. You reckon your life. You can't. What can't you see? 
You've accepted your salary. You've accepted where you are. As a pastor, I can just accept this. I can accept stuff and I can lose my perspective. Here he goes again, building the future campaign now. Yeah, because I can see. I can see. I can see. I can see. Be like everybody else. Do what you can do. Be your best. You stop seeing. And you can't see that you don't see. stuff in my mind, huh? you know, I'm figuring out whether I'm going to say it or not. You see me processing you know, say, oh, he's deciding that. He's weighing it out. Some things I can't say because it ain't fair. Some things you can't say. You just got to just know. But I, I'll give you an uh, executive summary. I need to be around my family enough to see. I need to be still long enough and rested enough so that I can see. I need to be prayerful enough and read enough so I can see. I don't want to be the dumbest one in the room. I'm trying to see. The Lord wants to give me sight, but I don't have the faith sometimes. If you don't have the faith, if you don't have the courage, if, you don't, if you're not willing to do what it takes, it can't happen. Number five, and I got I to end this. People who have no voice. Those are the people that God wants to give. Help build the future. Matthew 9, 32 says, As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man. Mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never seen like this in Israel. Now, again, there you go. You know, impose your, your own cultural perspective on this. Matthew, a guy who did not understand but what he understood, describes what he saw the best he could. A guy who couldn't hear, he said, was demon-possessed. Now, some of us would say, see there, when anybody that's got a physical ailment with their ears, it's a demon. Cast out the demon and they'll hear. No, Matthew's describing the best he can, what he saw. Matthew's description is not inspired, by the way. This is Matthew saying what he saw in his own words. The healing is inspired, but not his summary of it all. Does that make sense to you? Matthew was a man saying, it looks to me like a demon. And it looked to me that once it vanished, praying for him, the demon left. I, I want you to be clear. If Jesus calls a demon, I'm with you. Matthew calls a demon, I'm weigh that, weigh that out. Are you with me, people? That's how your theology can become so biased and narrow-minded because you missed the point. So everybody with earring problems, you go in and come out, you spirit, right? No, it's a bad eardrum, okay? Let's not always assume. The message, though, is not about just that. The message is... I want people who can't hear to hear. I want people who can't see to see. I want to give them a future. I want to give them what they don't have. Are you with me, church? And so if you cannot hear, if you have no voice, if you cannot speak, if you have nothing, you feel like a person like this guy, you feel like this person who can't see, you have no money spent at all, no place to go. No more hope than you're the kind of people that Jesus wants to build a future. And that's why you ought to be excited, and that's why you ought to be thankful. And you ought to thank God that you have a future. 
Come on, people. Give God a big hand clap if you're hearing me today. Father God, I thank you today in Jesus' name for these examples of people, people that God wants to touch. I ask you, Lord God, to bring us to a place where we hear you today. We leave here saying whatever the price tag is, we'll pay it because I want that in my life. I want to see, I want to hear, I want to voice. I want to get past this season. The sense of hopelessness. Looking at my life as if it was dead and could never be resurrected. Feeling like my career, my future, all that's lost. Father, restore us. Ignite us in us a fire of faith and confidence. Help us to build a future that deals with our insecurities. Where for the rest of our lives, we don't have to carry that, that weight. I, I, I speak, Lord God, to the hopeless in this room. The hopeless watching. The blind watching. People who just feel, oh my God, I, who am I? What am I? Lost it all and have this deep sense of loss. Touch them today. Ignite in them fire and faith. Let them get up tomorrow and look at the world differently. Let them accept and embrace the fact that they may lose a few friends or may lose something, but it's okay because where they're trying to go is better. So, God, I lift my heart to you today. Lift your hands up as high as you want to be blessed. Father, we lift our hands, and we declare by faith that we are people going someplace. We will not be intimidated. We will not be afraid. We're not going to be sidetracked by the progress of others. We're going to celebrate who you are in us. We thank you. We give you all the glory and all the honor as we build a future, Lord God, as we embrace your grace. And next week, Lord God, we're going to say we're going to show them how to how to, how to build a future when fear shows up. It's the one thing that shows up, and it showed up, Lord God, in the life of a young 14-year-old girl, that God had a future for her she couldn't imagine, that she would be the mother of the Lord Jesus. And, Father God, that you had a plan for her, like you got a plan for us. But fear shows up and tries to intimidate us and tries to rob us. But we will not buy into that. We go into this coming year with faith, believing in our future and believing your hands on us. You said you know the plans you have for us, plans to give us a future and a hope. Proverbs, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 29, 11. And so we accept that as a prophecy for our future in Jesus' name. Amen. Every hand down, every head bowed right now for a moment. After hearing today's message, you said, Pastor, I get it. I get it, I get it, I get it. I need to start a life with Jesus. I need to start my life today. I want a future with the Lord. I want to be a person who walks with God. The way to do that is to simply say, Father, I need you. I accept you. Thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for me. To give me a chance to start again. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, if you're saying, Pastor, I want that in my life. I want to leave this church knowing that I'm right with God. Jesus died so that I can know that. If you want me to pray that prayer for you, say, Pastor Rick, pray that prayer for me because I want to start a walk with God today. Raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. I see you. Anybody else? Just put your hand up. Put it right back down. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? Let me see you. Okay, I see you as well. And I see you. Other folks, God bless you. Touch the hearts, Lord God. Some are raising your heart as well as your hand. Touch them, Father, I pray. And some at home today. Father, let this be the beginning of a new life for them. All those who raised their hands and some who raised their hearts, let this be that moment. I pray they leave here saying, I get it. I understand the need for Jesus.
my life. And I surrender my life to him today. And I ask him to be the Lord of my life. And I give you all the praise and I give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen.